0: Thanks for tuning in to our latest Blu-ray roundup for the month of May. That's where we are, right?
1: Yes, we are. We're a couple weeks delayed, but, you know, just a lot of things going on here. But you can count on us. We get there eventually. So, and we did. (laughs) So here's the the May physical media report, uh, as we normally do. And uh, uh, we appreciate those who do uh, always listen to these because, uh, you know, enjoy, enjoy doing it and enjoy the feedback, So, I, and I don't see that enough. So I said, should thank the people who always feedback to us and, and tell us how much they enjoy these shows. So um, anyway, but uh, yeah, so uh, we'll, we always start. Uh, the only year-
0: feedback I ever get
1: Uh uh-huh.
0: is, hey, when is the Eyes Wide Shut episode going to come out? <laughs> <laughs> For years it was, hey, when's Full Battle Jacket? And then I put out Full Battle Jacket, and now it's, hey, when's Eyes Wide Shut? That's the, That's basically the only email I get, demanding demanding that I put the type in to make more free stuff.
1: Uh, well, I was gonna say you can't ever put it out now because you'll stop getting the mail. So you can't. Use
0: this I think it's worth, worthy something worthy of Kubrick. The the amount of time I take to put this stuff together.
1: There you go. That's right. Yeah, you're just following in the master's footsteps.
0: You yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm a method creator. So right. I. I kind of emulate the the, the <laughs> yeah. film the filmmaker I'm covering. So and <laughs> there what, is there 13 years between Full Metal and Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. So and you uh... so I'll silence the people right now. Another 11 years, I'll come up with that Eyes Wide Shut episode. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, they they don't realize that you've been uh, that you've actually had it in the can for about five years. You've you've just been editing it all this time. So it's
0: well, that's you know the editing takes the most time, but you know the uh, uh, I have been actually waiting for them to release this documentary they made on Eyes Wide Shut, which has been my God, ten years in the making. Mm-hmm. The the um the uh the people that did the Leon Vitali documentary. Uh, before yeah. they, before they started that, they were making an Ice Wide Shut documentary and they flew here to Florida and interviewed me and they interviewed tons of people and that was ten years ago. And then mm-hmm. they interviewed Leon and uh they said, Hey, there's a movie here and so they took the side turn and made the Leon movie. F- film worker. Mm-hmm. And now I I'm, would imagine they're going back to the Eyes Wide Shut, uh if they're not sick of it by now. But Yeah but i was hoping uh, to release our episode in tandem with the release of that
1: yeah that would be that would make total sense i would think uh, from a logistical standpoint yeah i i keep thinking that they're probably going to announce the 4k release of uh, eyes wide shut pretty soon too cuz i think all of the kubrick titles have either been announced or Except Barry Barry Lyndon is the only one uh, really that has not been issued in 4K. Yeah, the rest of them have. It's Barry Lyndon and Eyes Wide Shut, I believe, are the only two.
0: Good Lord, I would think Barry Lyndon would be
1: tops. I know. Yeah, it's um. Well, Criterion did a pretty terrific job on that uh, about three, four years ago. So I mean, it's Blu-ray.
0: Criterion might do the 4K on it since they're doing those now.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, or Warner Brothers proper, because they're going back and uh, doing. they've done all the Kubricks, with the exception of those two titles, and Keno is handling all the MGM Kubrick Uh, titles. Uh, They've even gone back, they're even going back to do Killer's Kiss. Oh, good. So, uh, they're doing, and 4K now, all these, uh, the Killers. 4K, Killer's Killers Kiss. Yeah, they're doing a Killer's Kiss 4K, they're doing the Killers 4K, uh, and Pads of Glory, Because those are all the MGM titles and um, the Killers. Yeah, fantastic
0: movie, of course. The Killers. That's that's Kubrick. Uh,
1: not the Killers. Um, the killing, uh, killing, killing, the killing, the killing. Not not, the Killers is. uh, I was I was questioning
0: myself that that title didn't come up automatically for me either, but
1: yeah, sorry. But uh, it's such a it's such a great uh, movie. uh, Yes, I, I stand corrected, my friend. So.
0: <laughs> no, but there is a kill. There is the killers, right? Or is it the? Yeah, directed
1: killers? by Don Siegel. It has is one of Ronald Reagan's uh, final films, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it is wow. Lee Marvin. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was actually a made-for-television movie, and then it was deemed too violent for television, so they released it theatrically. So mm. I think it may be Ronald Reagan's final film, as a matter of fact. I believe it is. Could be.
0: You you ever see that movie Detour?
1: Um.
0: That noir. Geez.
1: That sounds awfully it's familiar. really good. I think I have. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds that's, really familiar. That's a movie that, that
0: by... the Criterion Channel introduced to me. And then there was another one, Murder by... Not Murder by Appointment. Murder by Contract. That that's, one I have not seen. It's a film noir that Scorsese was crazy about, and they played that on Criterion, too. That is fantastic. Fantastic.
1: Hmm. Murder by Contract. Yeah. Good to know. Wow. All right. Well, anyway... Moving along to the keynote titles. Let's just go ahead and knock them all out, actually. Uh, I said I was going to cover the ones only in the beginning of the month, but we'll knock out all the, 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 the keynote titles. And we'll start with Francis the Talking Mule, the seven-film collection. Yeah, this was a thing, of course, in the uh, mid, early to mid-1950s. Uh, they spanned the years 1950 to 1956. And, of course, the premise is, you know, kind of was kind of recycled for the Mr. Ed television show. You know, in this one, it's uh, obviously the title says all Francis, the talking mule. And, uh, you know, it's an army officer played by Donald O'Connor who tries to explain that a talking mule rescued him from behind enemy lines. And uh, hilarity ensues, as they say, (laughs) Zazu Pitts and Tony Curtis star in the original one, actually, which is kind of funny. Uh, obviously, before Tony Curtis had uh, was a was a name mm-hmm. at that point. But anyway, they moved on to uh, Francis goes to the races. Francis goes to West Point. Francis covers the big town. Uh, Francis joins the wax. Francis in the Navy, basically releasing one each calendar year up until Francis in the Haunted House, where at that point Donald O'Connor completely left the uh, the series, and the original director uh, also left. So, uh, new director, new star, Mickey Rooney took over for Donald O'Connor in the Francis in the Haunted House. So, uh,
0: (laughs) anyway. You listen to, um, there's a couple of new podcasts, or new to me podcasts I've started tuning into, including the Dana Carvey, David Spade podcast.
1: Uh, My sister is a fan of that and tells me I should listen to it, but I have not gotten around to it, I must admit.
0: Dana Carvey has great Mickey Rooney stories because... He started his career in a sitcom where he played Mickey Rooney's grandson.
1: That's right, I remember that show. I, I think can't N- remember I think the title.
0: Nathan Lane was in it too, or something.
1: Uh-huh. So, so
0: he has very colorful memories of Mickey Rooney. Mm hmm. <laughs> what a character.
1: That he was, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> that he was. Yeah, he was one of a kind, as they say. Yeah, so, um, so we'll move on to, um, oh, this is an Italian film directed by Giuliano Montaldo. It's uh, Sacco and Vanzetti. Uh, that's from 1971. It's a title I really wasn't familiar with. The musical score is uh, composed and conducted by Ennio Morricone and mm. features Joan Baez on the soundtrack. I guess this was around the t- same time that she was doing the soundtrack for... um. Silent Running or something when she was, uh, you know, did the vocals for that one as well. But it's uh, basically 1920 story, crime story of Italian immigrants uh, who stand accused uh, of robbery and murder. And it features new commentary by filmmaker Alex Cox. So uh, there you go. Uh, the um, Treasure of the Four Crowns, which was one of those films that was released in the early 80s during the second Phase of the 3D craze. You remember in the early 80s when I think it started with Coming at You, and then they had those uh, theatrical, uh, those um, 3D presentations on the local local channels, uh, independent channels in our area of I I believe it was Gorilla at Large and Revenge of the Creature, and you had to go down to the 7-Eleven and get your.
0: I did that with Creature of the Black Lagoon. Okay. Because on channel mm-hmm. forty four they they would uh, whatever they would play uh-huh. uh they would play a three d version of that. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. It was Revenge of the Creature here. Uh, we didn't get. Well, uh, you Creature.
0: weren't you weren't fortunate like us Florida kids.
1: I know that's right. That's that's correct. But I I, what?
0: I vividly remember that. Did they when they uh had three d I can't remember because I do recall I didn't go to the theater to watch Space Hunter because that's just stupid. But I mm-hmm. did go to the theater to watch Joss three d because that's uh, just such a step up in intelligence from Space Hunter, but when I can't remember if when I saw Jess, Jaws 3D, <laughs> did they give out paper 3D glasses or were they plastic back then? Uh,
1: I think they were paper back then. I'm pretty sure they were. I didn't actually get to see Jaws 3D in the theater, uh, but I'm pretty sure. In fact, I didn't get to see any of these 3D films in a theater that, uh, during the second wave. Uh, we almost went, there was a um, oh, there was an animated 3D film. I'm trying to think of the name of it. It was something about the legend of Orin or something like that. And we almost went to that one, and I think my dad got home from work late or something, and we didn't we didn't make it. Uh, but didn't get to see any of these. But I do think it was paper from the research mm. that I recall. Uh, yeah, because I think that the uh, the hard plastic ones were later. Yeah. The film I was getting ready to talk about though was Treasure
0: of the Four Crowns, if you remember that one. <laughs> if you quit taking sidetracks, Jamie, we'll get to uh, the damn that, point.
1: Well that's 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 the beauty of what we do.
0: What we what it's year is that? Tracks. What year is that? This
1: was actually nineteen eighty three and by this time the second phase of three D had kinda run its course at that point.
0: Yeah, but eighty three, if you think Jaws three D, this movie Friday the 13th Part 3, right? That's true. I yeah. mean, Space Hunter, I think, was 83, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the 83 was big for 3D. Yeah. 1983D was... is what they should have called it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't get to see any of these. And they actually reissued House of Wax, if you remember, the, uh-huh. uh, the old uh, Vincent Price. That was actually, that played theatrically here. Uh, I definitely recall that playing uh, in 3D. And I want to say, and I might might be wrong about this, but I want to say that uh, Dial M for Murder may have been reissued around that time too, though I can't say for sure. Uh, But uh, House of Wax, I can definitely attest to that, because I remember the the ads in the local paper, back Mm -hmm. when papers had that sort of thing. Uh, But yeah, this was just basically a Raiders of the Lost Ark um, ripoff. Uh, But it does have a good score by Ennio Morricone, yet again. And uh,
0: I remembered I have a subscription to newspapers.com because I use it a lot for the book I'm writing. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the childhood movie-going experiences I had, and I remember seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark, the opening Saturday. And so I was like, I wonder if I could see the newspaper ad from that movie theater. And so I looked it up, and I was like, yeah, I mean, it... It's a special thing. It kind of takes you back to – that was what was in the uh, my local newspaper that morning uh, advertising that Raiders was showing, and I could see the showtime that I went to go see it. Oh, wow. You know, and I did that with a few movies like E.T. and Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that it's fascinating. I was looking up, you know, when Thelma Todd was found uh, – died or was found dead, and mm-hmm. um, who's the woman? Uh, Harlow. I was looking up all the, yeah, yeah, I was looking up all the, uh, the old celebrity deaths in the, in the LA newspapers at the time. Oh, wow. Interesting. The Dahlia stuff is really interesting because it's all there. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. all the coverage and there was tons of it and newspapers trying to out sensationalize each other. Legitimate, legitimate newspapers. So it's fascinating to read coverage from those times.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing, uh, and it's really interesting. It's different when you're watching something as it's happening in real time or, or you're reading something that was written in real time as it was unfolding, I should say. Right. So, yeah, that, that there's something about that. That's what makes the old uh, Siskel Ebert episode so interesting is because they're reacting to something that was brand new at the time. These are reviews that were unspoiled by... Right. By nostalgia or, or and things like that. Not that there's nostalgia for the Black Dahlia murders or anything
0: like that, but you know <laughs> or, or the movie. But yeah. Yeah, or exactly. the
1: movie. No, definitely not for the movie. Uh but yeah, that's
0: that's um that's that's I prefer is... the George Siegel Black Dahlia movie over the
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> over the De Palma,
0: I'm sad true. to say.
1: True, true, true. I agree. But yeah, um so we are recording this actually on the weekend of the fortieth anniversary of E. T. and so while you brought that up, I'll just uh, I'll just jar your uh, jog your memory for a uh, what what was your experience with E.T. when you saw it?
0: I uh, saw it opening Saturday again, and I remember the movie did. theater I saw it in, and I found that newspaper ad last week. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I know I saw it at like the four whatever showing.
1: hmm
0: And uh, yeah, I mean it's it extremely uh, moving, extremely special oh, yeah. movie. And oh. the other thing that I was interested in is what was the other movie that was playing at the same time? And I can't remember what it was because it was a twin theater, but I can't remember what it was with ET, but, uh, that was of interest to me too. But they're re-releasing that in IMAX.
1: I heard that later in the fall or something.
0: How do they do that? It's not shot for IMAX. I mean, it's not, it's shot, isn't it shot flat? Isn't it 185? Yeah,
1: it's 1.85 to 1, yeah.
0: (laughs) What the, what's the point of IMAX?
1: I don't know, but the IMAX is, uh, those, those IMAX sequences are typically 1.85 to 1 uh, as well, I think. I don't know how, I don't know why you would think, your mind thinks, well, it should be wider because it's IMAX, but I noticed on the, for instance, the Blu ray of The Dark Knight, when it goes to the IMAX sequences, it, it jumps to 1.85 to 1. So, and I, and I, mine is probably just
0: is, to fit it on the screen.
1: Maybe it is, but the rest because, of the film is, because
0: because you've seen an IMAX print, right?
1: Uh, yeah, and it looks wide. In, it's
0: twice in the, the size. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I don't understand how all that works, but uh, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Um, so, but you know, I guess there's ways that they can do that nowadays, and um, so I it's been interesting seeing people's remembrances online, uh, Facebook friends who were. You know, saw it, uh, somebody was talking about seeing it in 1980, maybe it was 85 for a reissue. And they were talking about, they saw it in 70 millimeter Mm. and how fantastic it was. Like the score sounded like you were, it was six track Dolby. And it sounded like you were, like John Williams was performing the score right there in the theater. And uh, yeah, I, my own remembrance of it is that I was staying with um, relatives in uh, uh, Northern Virginia my cousin and uh, my two – my three cousins and uh, my aunt and uncle had invited me to come and stay with them for the summer. And so they uh, they live near uh, – in the Washington, D.C. area. And so we went over to – during the weekday and saw it uh, in a theater, I would say, maybe a week after it opened or something. And just uh, – and it was like a Wednesday, if memory serves me correct. And it was – um, uh, we had to wait at least a half hour to get in. Those were the days, right? Mm. Uh, couldn't get your, uh, didn't have your little app to get you a, a, a ticket. You just had to stand there there's and wait. There's
0: something special about the smell of those old theaters. And it's not oh, just, yeah. it's not just the popcorn. I mean, it's just, there's some, there's some smell that I associate with an old classic like Twin Cinema or something.
1: Oh, agreed. Yeah.
0: That uh, I haven't, I haven't had replicated since they all started mm-hmm. shutting down, you know. Yeah,
1: it's different. It really is. And uh so yeah, I I can
0: definitely I saw it opening oh. I saw it opening Saturday and I saw it in the exact same theater house that I saw uh Joss 3D uh, and Fatal Attraction later, <laughs> oh, and nice. Beverly Hills Cop. I remember seeing all three of those movies in the same house and that was mm-hmm. the Jerry Lewis Twin Cinema, the <laughs> the movie chain that he owned. He had one in Lakeland.
1: Oh, uh, incredible. Yeah, that's funny. I um yeah, it's, it, it, it does make you nostalgic and longing for that time when you when you think about it. And, uh, you know, obviously we've moved ahead, and people don't understand that that, that sort of thing made those experiences even more special uh, for us. And, um, yeah, I remember it was good. And, but the one thing I remember is I guess I had seen enough movies, even though I was 11 when I saw it. I had seen enough movies, I guess, where I knew... Kind of knew the beats of a movie script or something. And I guess I was a little more savvy as an 11 year old than I thought I was looking back because I remember at the point where they say that E.T.'s dead. And I remember thinking, no, he's not. That's right. absolutely incorrect. That's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, so I was not manipulated by his death because I knew he was going to come back. But the movie was moving nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I and knew I, I knew it was a great movie. I saw it when I was eight. Yeah, me too. I, I couldn't tell you why it was a great movie. Uh, no. back then
1: but uh, now it's different as an adult you uh, it's even more special because you know there's a lot you can read into it from an adult perspective
0: and it's great that we were present for the unveiling of some classic films like et
1: oh absolutely yeah you know,
0: and i don't know that young people today have that experience as often as we <laughs> did growing up in the 70s and 80s you know
1: no, and it was it was uh, the the experience of getting there and seeing these movies first run was you know I, I've told the story many times about when Star Wars came out uh, in our town we didn't get it till August of seventy seven and of course that just made it all the more special because we were kids we couldn't drive to a to the neighboring nearest you know metropolitan city and so we just had to wait you know we just had to wait till it came and so we were building this incredible amount of expectation all summer long. And then when it finally came in August, uh, my dad rounded us all up in uh, his car, all the neighborhood kids. My dad kind of voted to be the one to do it. And he took us all, and they felt so sorry for my dad because he had so many kids in the car that they only charged him a a dollar a head uh, to get in. (laughs) They're like, man, he's got like six or seven kids in the car with however many he could shove into a... Uh, a Chrysler, um, Newport at that point. And so he, you know, so he, it was like a, a buck ahead and we all got in and we saw it and we were, you know, obviously enthralled as we expected we would
0: be. I looked up the original reviews of Texas Chainsaw. Uh huh. And, uh, some people got it. Other people were like, it's just a, it's a nonsense, uh, gore fest.
1: I don't get that. A gore fair.
0: Yeah. It's which, are, you know, hadn't they seen, uh, uh, the Herschel Gordon Lewis movies uh, by that I was getting point?
1: Ready to say. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, the, the Texas Chainsaw is really restrained. And for them not to see the art of that at the time, uh-huh. it's a major oversight, I think.
1: Totally agree. Yeah. It's, uh, ah. Uh, um... People amaze me. <laughs>
0: but some people got it. I mean, there was one critic. It wasn't a major critic. It was a regional newspaper, and they were like, you know, there's something very primal about this movie. This movie does what it does better than any other movie I can think of. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm, it's, it's
1: interesting, those who get it and those who don't. Well, speaking of more movies celebrating their 40th anniversary, I will say that I – Uh, This past week I saw one that I missed when it came out uh, that opened this month 40 years ago, and it's always had a bad rap and finally came out on Blu-ray, and I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pull the trigger, and it was Grease 2, and boy, was that bad.
0: (laughs) Okay. That's what I want to ask you about because I was looking through Facebook last night, and I saw you praising Grease 2 in the comments of one of your posts. And I was like, <laughs> he has to be facetious, but I don't want I don't want to step in and say, are you fucking nuts? And uh, insult him if he's big serious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know me well enough, my friend. You do. I like, I,
0: but I had to question it at that point. Do I really know Adam?
1: You do. You know me well. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy who's a, a good friend of mine. Who's a, a film professor in the area here. And he's, uh, he, he's always trying to, to, to um, yeah, he's always trying to get me going with something like that, and so I just I thought I'm going to give it right back to him and be a little smarmy here, so I did. Uh, but yeah, it was awful. It was I actually terrible. I, t- I
0: did talk to Aaron last night and I I brought that up about your post and Grease 2 and he said, well, you know, musicals just need three good numbers, and Grease 2 has three good numbers. I was like, no, it doesn't. It only has one. <laughs> it only has one decent number, which is Cool Writer. I like uh, Cool Writer. Well,
1: Right, that's okay.
0: I can. Uh, But you know, you're really stretching it, and especially when you compare it to the first Grease, whether you like the movie or not. I mean, the first Grease has instantly memorable songs from Mm -hmm. you know backwards and forwards. Yeah, I think the attraction of Grease Two is really just a, a a kitschy one. You know.
1: Oh yeah, it's uh. Well, I think it's very telling when Eddie Deason, you remember, he told. I don't know if he said it when we had lunch with him that time, but he's in the movie, and he said. That's a piece of crap. I don't get to love uh, for that movie <laughs> because uh, I was in it and it's a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, so, the only yeah. movie directed by a famous casting director, right?
1: Yeah, Patricia Birch. She was also the uh, choreographer for the original. Right. Two. Yeah. So, I tried uh, to
0: reach her because she cast a lot of John Hughes movies too. Mm hmm. And yeah. I uh, tried to reach her when John Hughes died and I couldn't get in touch with her. Mm. She's yeah. dead now, I think. Is she really? I think I she I I
1: knew that, but I'd forgotten that, yeah. I, I know it's written by Ken Finkelman, who who had the unenviable task of also scripting the sequel to Airplane in the very same year. Same year. So, yeah. Same year. So that poor guy.
0: Did uh, he work after?
1: Uh, yeah, he did. He he works a regular, pretty steadily in uh, Canadian television now, I think. And he also did, uh, what was Head Office, I think is the name of the – the movie with Judge Reinhold or something. There's a comedy oh, in the eighties. Yeah, He did. He did a couple other things, but uh, I don't think Airplane Two, by the way, is as bad as everybody says it. There are some solid gags.
0: You life. can't help it. I mean, uh, the, just the, the the nature of the beast, like right. a laugh line a minute. Yes. You got to hit some. You know, even if you have a low batting average, you're still laughing a few times, which
1: is oh yeah. Yeah, there's some, there's definitely some good ones in there. I mean, it's not near, nowhere near the ballpark of the original airplane, but it is not a terrible movie. It's there's, there's enough to,
0: there's, there's enough. To, the only know. part I remember of that movie is like when one of the lawyers, they're in the court case, and one of the lawyers says, "If it please the court," and everybody in the courtroom turns around and smiles to the camera, to the camera. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, the the my one of my favorites is the guy that, that that they're questioning one of the witnesses in the courtroom sequence and he says uh, uh, uh buddy bailed out no buddy didn't bail out buddy hung in there buddy was the best tail gunner they ever had <laughs> how he yeah. survived is a miracle and he's like how he survived no I'm afraid not we lost <laughs> howie the next day <laughs> he goes over Macho Grande he goes over Macho Grande no I'm afraid I'll never get over Macho Grande yeah, that, that's that's that's
0: taken deep. from the police squad show. Yeah, because th- there's a there's a big thing that Drubin and and his partner has in the police station where they go through that same thing.
1: Yeah, it's the same, yeah, it's kind of like the you know it just it, it, that that to me is funny. I'm sorry, but anyway, I'm way off topic here with what we were <laughs> somehow or another we're 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 really waxing nostalgic about nineteen. Oh, that's great. Anyway, but we will move back. Uh, we were saying that Treasure of the Four Crowns has been issued in uh, 3D uh, on. Um, Blu-ray by Kino, and um, I would really like to – I put this on my wish list on Amazon because I would like to see this in 3D, and uh, I think there's two different versions. There's the uh, the kind uh, – the old paper 3D glasses style and the, and the newer uh, style. There's two different types of 3D here, the polarized and the um, red cyan 3D versions, they call it. So anyway, and you do get a pair of ana- ana- anaglyphic 3D glasses. Anaglyphic. So, anyway. Wow, that's yeah. a word. Yeah, it is. Try to get that that one out. But anyway, but sucks. so but but hang
0: on. You're saying yeah. that E. T. and Grease Two are are they being released on commemorative fortieth
1: Blu-rays? Uh, Grease Two, and I guess when we get to our June titles, we can talk even more about it. But yeah, it came out last week on Blu-ray from Paramount. No extras. Imagine that.
0: On Grease Two, um, really?
1: Yeah, no extras.
0: I know Maxwell Caulfield has been doing the publicity rounds for it.
1: Oh, he has. Well, there are defenders of it. What can I tell you? But I don't know. As I said in my comment on Facebook, I said uh, it, it kind of reaches its nadir when Tab Hunter is uh, teaching biology class and there's a musical number set to uh, is, about the, I thought, oh, boy. Is, is that the musical
0: number? that? Where does the pollen go?
1: That's it. That's okay. the one. All right. That's the one. It's awful. Awful. And I can't – back to that. I can't say – how could Alan Carr – or Robert Stigwood, for that matter, see what they had what they had in the can when it was over, and think that that was going to that it was going to be met <laughs> with um, uh, applause,
0: shall we say? They're pl- well, they're blinded by dollar signs, probably.
1: I guess. I mean, anybody with sense enough to tie their own shoelaces could see that it's awful, and you could you could just see. I, I would have just said, "Well, we tried." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You just
1: you know, that's what I would have done, and probably I don't know. I would have sold it to television at that point, isn't uh, An
0: original, in an original musical. Stations. The degree of difficulty must be out of out of control, you know.
1: I guess so. What they could have done was, as they did in the case of the sequel to Splash and the sequel to The Jerk, they sold those directly to television and just made them, you know, made for TV movies. That's what they should have done with Grease too. But anyway, oh yeah, so. Anyway, so we have Son of Samson from 1960, which is a, uh, oh, it's one of those sword and sorcery films, uh, as were the, all the rage in 1960. So this one features a uh, new commentary by David DelVal and filmmaker-historian Michael Verratti. And so uh, we have that. We have a Violent City special edition. That's an early 1970 uh, crime film with... Oh, Charles Bronson, Telly Savalas, and uh, Bronson's future wife, Jill Ireland. And uh, that has uh, it's two discs, actually, because it was a uh, the original Italian version and the uh, English version. It has new commentaries and uh, all kinds of uh, – and some, uh, some Charles Bronson theatrical trailers, so you get all that. Without warning is the uh, – starring Jack Palance and Martin Landau, who's in uh, – Old sci-fi thriller, also stars Ralph Meeker and Cameron Mitchell. That's a pretty interesting cast. 1980, that features uh, some new interviews. And uh, Dean Kundi was the cinematographer on that, the uh, legendary Dean Kundi, who did Halloween and Back to the Future, many other things. And so he's interviewed here. And uh, special makeup effects creator Greg Canem is as well. So uh, anyway, Flower Drum Song, the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, starring Nancy Kwan from 1961 has been issued, uh, directed by Henry Koster. Uh, that uh, also in a special edition with, uh, oh, new audio commentary. And, um, you know, some new interviews, featurettes, all that stuff. Uh, Times Square from 1980 starring Tim Curry, Trini Alvarado, and Robin Johnson. And that's... Um, you know, it's a, a a teen drama about the sheltered daughter of a prominent politician who is uh, who, who decides to run away from home and uh, bonds with uh, another teenager. So anyway, that's uh, been a, a, uh, issued as well by Kino Times Square, uh, 1981 it was. I'm sorry, and that has a, a new commentary as well by Kat Allinger. A uh, fistful of dollars and a few for a few dollars more have been issued in 4K Ultra HD by Kino, and they have all kinds of extras. There's so many. We'd be here all evening uh, talking about those. Uh, there's commentaries. There's feature ads. Uh, you name it for those two, but uh, brand new... Um, remasterings, and of course, Kino also handles the distribution of the Scorpion releasing stuff as well. Almost Summer is one of those films, starring Bruno Kirby, Lee Purcell, and Tim Matheson and Didi Kahn. Speaking of Reese 2, she's also
0: in this one. Oh, yeah. Didi Kahn, who was married to?
1: Oh, wasn't she... Oh, gosh. Gosh, 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 I'm driving a... I'm drawing a blank.
0: David Shire.
1: That's right. Yes, 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 yes.
0: Are they still? Uh, Well... I mean I know like twelve years ago or so they were. I, okay. Yeah. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. I haven't I haven't kept up with his uh, his marriage status. But
1: mm. <laughs> yeah, that's well that's not what we what we uh look him up for. We look him up for his body of work. But anyway. Uh yeah, this is uh they say this film uh, paved the way for fast times at Ridgemont High and the Breakfast Club. I don't know, but um I never saw it and I always wanted to and I I did get a copy of this, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. But it um, has a top 40. The uh, theme song from the film Almost Summer was actually a top 40 hit by uh, Mike Love from the Beach Boys. He, he oh. uh, formed a group called Celebration, and they're billed on the label. Uh, but the, yeah, Almost Summer, I think it peaked at like number 28 or something, in summer of 78. So anyway, only I would know that, being the
0: music geek that I am. Did he sue Kool in the gang? <laughs> he stole my uh, song.
1: Oh, it was a little bit before Coolio, I think, but anyway. Des Chardes, from 1969, starring Care, Care DeLay and John Huston and Anne Massey. And that is a uh, oh, about uh, film about the man who made an errant realm, his own, the notorious um, Mar- Marque de Chardet. So, anyway, this is a uh, new audio commentary by Tim Lewis. Oh, have on this.
0: Um what's that about?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. The Marquis de Sade. Okay. Uh Marquis de Sade, <laughs> yeah, mispronouncing mispronouncing here. It's about de Sade. Marquis de Sade. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. What no, about? sorry, man. I, you you could have been right. I did, I was confused.
1: Oh, no, no. It's the way the uh there was a typo here in the uh, the press release I had and so but I'm 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 ascertaining what they meant. And it's like, okay, it's the Marquis de Sade. So, yeah. Okay. So, anyway, um uh, Tim Lucas does the audio commentary on that, and then we Ugh. have the nineteen ninety six film Jude, starring Kate Winslet and uh, Rachel Griffith.
0: Who do you like among these commentaries, commentators? Because well, you, you always see yeah. Tim Lucas, you always see David DeVall, especially oh, yeah. on you know cheapo um, genre films,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or or Vincent Price stuff, or you know.
1: Yeah, I uh well obviously our buddy Lee Gambin, he's been good to come on and talk to us. So obviously I like his stuff and I like his books too. His his books are interesting. So yeah, he he gets a good blend of uh his um you know, of the production nuts and bolts, of the production details with his analysis. He, it's a good blend of both, I think. He he does well. And of course, I do like Tim Lucas. He did a really uh he's a, you always learn something from his stuff. Uh, he did a great job on those Night Stalker television films a couple of years back in the Trilogy of Terror. So he does uh, he does some good stuff there. So. Um, well, that's good. I can't remember if he did Trilogy of Terror or not, actually. I know he did Night Stalker and Night Strangler, but those were good. I can attest to He's
0: that. He's been very arrogant with me, but if he knows the stuff, then that's good. Um,
1: yeah, I've not had uh, – well, we can cut this out, but what, what, I'm curious what happened.
0: <laughs> I just invited him on the show, and he said, what's the purpose of me – Giving away my commentary to um, – and then he posted about it. Like this guy had the gall to ask me to comment. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't know. Like what's the purpose of anyone going on a talk show talking about their movie? Why don't they just all go on the talk show and say, just see the movie? Why am I talking about it?
1: Right. Yeah, he always struck me as being a little bit on the arrogant side too. And I, I wondered if that was just me and that's why I didn't bring it up because – he, he, you know, anytime I say something congratulatory or anything, he's never says anything nice about anything that I you know, ever posted. And uh, he never, anytime I congratulate him, he's, he's never you know, hey, thanks or anything like that. He just kind of, I, I don't know. I, I get this reading uh, between the lines. I get a feel for him that he's just kind of a yeah, a, a little full of himself. Which he's talented. I mean, he's good. He's you know, I I I, I his video watchdog is is a great you know publication or was. But you know, uh, yeah, I I I was just curious about your experience, but that's that's
0: pretty bad. That's a shame. Because I think I think the tone should be, hey, this is a movie I love and I know a lot about. I can't wait to share it with you. Right. You know, let's share this stuff together.
1: Yeah, geez, and then goes to social media to uh, to talk. Wow. Should
0: be like a generosity of spirit, not an elitist kind of point of view. Yeah.
1: Right. Wow, that's.
0: I did listen to the because they have commentaries on YouTube. They don't play the movie. Uh uh-huh. But they have the uh, commentaries and, uh, on a lot of stuff. And I was re-listening to the David Fincher, Robert Town, uh, commentary on Chinatown.
1: Mm, and, uh,
0: my God. First of all, Robert Town barely speaks because <laughs> David Fincher knows his stuff. And you can, it's a reflection of what an, what a precise, exact kind of, um, obsessive filmmaker that he is in his own films, how much Mm -hmm. he knows about Chinatown. I mean, every corner of the frame he knows of that movie. And in in the couple sections, he's like, yeah, you can see the light reflected off that barn door. That's pretty bad. (laughs) And then he says, I think Goldsmith's cue should have come a little bit later. And it's so, but he adores the movie. And Mm. it's, but it's so informed that Robert Town kind of has to agree with a few quibbles that Fincher has about the movie. <laughs> Robert Towns like, yeah, you're right. I guess you're right. It's a pretty astounding commentary, I think.
1: Yeah, I have the Blu-ray which has that on there, but I, I've never listened listen to it. It would be it. so much easier to listen, listen, to, listen to on YouTube. Yeah, well, I'm doing mine.
0: and it's my one other, uh, first of all, it's one of the all-time great movies. hmm But uh, listen, it's a great, great commentary. Um, oh, good. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm watching that. We've talked privately about it, but I've been watching that making of the Godfather series. Oh yeah. The uh, offer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of it's shit. I mean, a lot of it's full of shit, but it's endlessly entertaining. And I'm telling you for the first time in years, there's a performance in that that I'm just wowed by. It's like next level. And that's Matthew Good as Robert Evans. Mm -hmm. You have to see it just for that performance. It will wow okay. you.
1: That's what I'm hearing from everybody, and I was hearing somebody might have been on the, uh, gosh, it was a podcast I was listening to the other day. They were they were they were saying, why don't they just do a dra- uh, a dramatized version of The Kid Stays in the Picture and have him play a, play the part?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd be all for it, but because he he's never registered with me, you know. I know right. that I've seen him in movies. I had to look him up to remember what movies. Yeah, but uh, but man. My God, it's like a just a perfect marriage of actor and role at the, just the right time because he soars in this mm-hmm. series. mm
1: mm Yeah, that's – uh. well, speaking of podcasts, I, I listened – William Friedkin was uh, on the Bread uh, East and Alice. This, uh, really? Yeah, he was, and it was really good. It was really good, Um, as you might expect. And he actually reflected on the Uvalde, Uvalde tragedy. He actually had a few things to say about that, and it was very moving what he had to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was uh he 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 was talking about you know, being at this stage in his life when he knows that time is very short for him and uh you know and he realizes that and uh, and he was just you know reflecting on his own mortality as he's getting close to the end and it was uh it was incredibly moving.
0: I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I reached yeah. out to him a couple of years ago and the and his assistant wrote back said, you know, don't spread this around but he's not doing well. And so I thought, oh my gosh, freaking death is imminent. So I'm glad to hear that he's, you know, still kicking around and doing, engaging in the, the kind of the great conversations that he's capable of.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was great. And Brett's a big fan of his stuff, so you know that that helped. And I thought his questions were good. I thought he asked him some, you know, really informed
0: his 15 minute questions.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Before I get well, to the actual
0: question, let me review the history of the world and my thoughts on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the thing is that Freakin gave it back to him. He interviewed Brett, like he asked him questions. Okay. He's like, oh, what were you thinking when you, uh, you know, when you when you were coming up with the, uh, uh, you know, American Psycho? What what well, was your uh, thought process? And then he, he's uh, and he's engaging. I mean, it's good. amazing. He's he's uh, and he says to him, he says. Uh, so uh, why did it take you so long to write why why were you not more, more prolific why didn't you uh, why didn't you publish more novels? He's asking him you know throwing it right back to him I thought this is great good, uh, I can't wait to hear it yeah i'll have to I'll send it your way thank so I'll you. have to do that yep. thank you so uh <laughs> there's yep. too
0: much stuff to there's too much content i mean it's just out of control. Yeah.
1: Well, when I saw that, I was like, okay, I gotta
0: have this. Nobody gave a shit about podcasts when we started podcasting. Oh. And now literally everybody and their cousin has a podcast. Like it's, uh, all the stars have podcasts. I'm not even aware of all of them. I, I look up stuff on YouTube. I found this one guy who's an actor. I can't think of his name, but he does a lot of, um, I watched an interview he did with Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Patrick together in his studio and it was great. You know, and, and and I love that more podcasts are doing the kind of the relaxed, um, you know, let's just shoot the shit for an hour and a half.
1: Yeah, yep, yep. Some of that is some of that can be fun. Yeah, this is true. I think I think we, we kind of did some of that once upon a time in our day. <laughs> yeah. We did. So uh, we'll move on to the Criterion Collection, May 2022 releases. And we have the Elaine Al- Delon film, World War II drama, Mr. Klein. They say it's one of the crowning achievements of blacklisted Hollywood director Joseph Losey's European Exile. It's uh, bill- billed as a spellbinding modernist mystery. And it's, uh, it's kind European of a take on
0: it. Was he, yeah, was he deemed a he communist was. or something?
1: I think he was. Yeah, and this one is kind of a wrong, one of those wrong man thrillers. You know, mm-hmm. guy's pinned for you know murder and he didn't do it. And you know, it's supposed to be really good, Mr. Klein. Uh, 1976 film getting uh an issue from Criterion with oh new interviews with critic Michael Cement and Michel M- Simon uh, Michel Simon. Boy, I'm butchering. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's okay.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, geez. Interviews from 1976 with director Joseph Losey and Elaine DeLong. And story of a day, a 1986 documentary on the. Um, I think it's based on a true incident or something. It's uh, mm. a. But anyway, um, there's a documentary about the real story or whatever. The funeral from 1984. Japanese. Yeah, this is a, a 1984 Japanese.
0: Funeral. Oh, oh, not that funeral.
1: No, this is a different one. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's um. You know, it's uh, the first feature from Maverick writer-director Juzo. I'm going to butcher that's this okay. too. I
0: don't know the pronunciation for this. So,
1: Juzo Atami, I'm going to say.
0: Probably. Anyway. Yeah, let's, <laughs> Sounds right.
1: New interviews with the actors from the film, and uh, there's a short program produced by the Criterion Channel on the film. Commercials uh, from the director, trailers. Mississippi Masala, mm. that's from 1991. And, uh, that is getting, uh, uh, got a new 4K restoration here, uh, featuring commentary by the director.
0: Mississippi Marcella. She was supposed to be a major. Is she the same filmmaker that did, uh, the Perez, the. Miranair? Yeah, the- she did the, um, Alfred Molina and Marissa Tomei were in it. The, the Perez, I think. I forget Perez the,
1: family, yeah.
0: Right. Originally, she was going after Pacino for it, and she settled for Alfred Molina. Not that that's mm-hmm. settling, but she was probably better for the part. And then, and, and she was supposed to be like a major. I don't know if she's done anything.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not sure either.
0: Did she make a dry white season, or was that somebody else? That was somebody mm, else.
1: I want to say that's somebody else, yeah. That's no. What I was gonna say. That's a criterion released a couple of months ago. Maybe a couple of years ago, I should say. But, uh, yeah, this uh, has new interviews with the cinematographer Ed Lachman. Oh. Um, the screenwriter, production designer, new commentary uh, featuring Miranir. So,
0: Lachman so is, is a legend.
1: Oh, he's great. Yeah, He definitely is. He's got a nice body of work. Um, and then we have Chan is Missing, which was the uh, film debut for Wayne Wang.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, I remember... Siskel and Ebert love, love, love this movie. They sang its praises, and I—it was hard to track down, and I could not get into it. I couldn't, couldn't really connect with it, on, get on its wavelengths. I know people think that it's, uh, seem to respond uh, positively to it, but I wasn't among them. I'm sorry. I, I, I was hoping that I, I would, but there's something missing. Chan is missing. Is yeah. was missing something for me. Um. So. Yeah. Anyway. Good. Yeah. Chan is so. missing.
0: You bet he is.
1: <laughs> and, and so is my like for this film. Uh no, it's basically about a couple of um uh, people who live in Chinatown who uh it's kind of like a take on has some of the, they say it has the film war elements but I don't know it's it's just spread so thin there's a lot of su- subplots with characters that aren't really properly introduced and it just I don't know it was just uh, taxing for me to uh,
0: you know And you and I were talking about this there's some like really Esteemed movies, Mm -hmm. Um, and since we're talking about Chan is missing, we're we're focusing on foreign films. People go over the moon about, and I remember the Memories of Murder being re-released when Parasite hit it big, right? Right, sure, yeah. And so I said, "Oh man, this looks right up my alley—serial killer kind of thing." And from acclaimed, you know, artistic talent and. So I watched it. And I was like, this is terribly overrated. <laughs> and there are parts of it that I thought were just laughably ridiculous. And I was telling you, there's a key piece of evidence. There's a letter from the serial killer something that's key to the, the case, building the case that he shows the main detective. Mm-hmm. But he sh- he chooses to show him this piece of paper standing out in the rain. Oh, I'm like – so you know that's evidence, right, that you're, that you're having destroyed because you choose to show it to him out in the rain?
1: <laughs> right. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. Yeah, I didn't get around to seeing that, and I have a copy of it lying around here, and <clears throat> I never did, but I, then when you told me that, I was kind of my, – my enthusiasm was dampened, I must say. So, uh, yeah, I um, – Chan is Missing is one of those movies. that just didn't uh, connect with me, and I – I thought it would. I really did. The way Cisco yeah. Lieber talked it up, and I was like, "This is this can't this can't miss." But no, it, didn't, it missed for me. So, but if you love it, who am I to say? Uh, it's a, there's a making of documentary called "Is Chan Still Missing," and there's um and anyway, yeah. The the plot is I didn't even get to the plot. It's about two. Uh, Two young men who live in Chinatown who are trying to um, start a taxi cab business, and uh, somebody makes off with their money, and they got to spend the, mo- mo- the, mo- the movie, the rest of the movie, uh, trying to track down who took the money. So, anyway, uh, that's essentially it. But, uh, like I said, um, in making up documentary here, trailer, conversation between Wayne Wang and film programmer Dennis Lim. So, uh, there we have it.
0: Wayne Wang, has he done anything lately?
1: I don't think so. Not that I'm aware of. So, yeah. So, we'll uh, we'll uh tackle a couple other titles right quick. Um, Smoke and Aces, the uh, Joe Carnahan film 2006 that's made its way to 4K, courtesy, courtesy of Universal. Uh, they've given it a 4K upgrade. I hear the transfer is not really all that great. Uh, it's kind of that you may be better off with the Blu-ray. I haven't seen it. Can't say for sure, but that's what the word on the street is. Um, the Outfit starring Mike, Mark Rylance, which was a uh, thriller wow. uh, that I enjoyed quite heartily. One of the best things I've probably seen uh, that was a theatrical release this year. I really, really enjoyed the outfit. Uh, it's, um, you know, kind of like uh, puts you in mind of something like Blood Simple or something like that. A lot of twists, a lot of turns. Uh, my son actually saw it first before I did, which was a, a little bit different. He, I used to be the guy who was the first one to see things in the theater. And my son's beating me to the punch here lately. So, uh, <laughs> and well, he did good with, that
0: he yeah, it, saw a movie like that in the theater. It's good.
1: Yeah. He said, dad, you got to see it. So I did. And he was correct.
0: And there's a Sydney Lumet outfit too, right? With Sean Connery. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's a totally different thing. Not but to be yeah, confused. A, not to be confused, but yeah, this is good. I would recommend it. A uh, very, very solid film. Uh He's a, uh, basically Mark Rylance is a tailor who gets caught up in a, um, uh, a couple, he's, there's a uh, some some people come looking for an incriminating tape, and they threaten him with his life, and he has to try to outsmart for a, a tape. And I'll leave it at that. So anyway, the outfit, uh, nice, uh, nicely entertaining, nicely done uh, with Mark Rylance. Paris when it sizzles was issued as part of a box set of Audrey Hepburn films. Now getting a separate release courtesy of Paramount, 1964. Blacklight from 2022. This year, the latest uh, Liam Neeson action opus, shall we say? That's been uh, Is issued. That the, um,
0: that's not the Alzheimer's one.
1: Uh, no, no, no. That's that's okay. the one that came before that. Yeah. God, he
0: comes out with so many yeah. damn movies.
1: I know, right? All the action, the uh, the action films that he's churning out. There's going to be quite a quite a list of them there. Um, and we have, let's see, uh, Gagarin, which is a uh, Cohen Media release from 2020. Not really familiar with that one. Didn't get a review copy of that one, but just wanted to mention it. And then we move on to uh, later on in the month. We had uh, Uncharted. From four, uh, it's a theatrical release from this year. Uh, that's been issued in 4K and Blu-ray. The Alfred Hitchcock Collection Volume 2. Classics Collection Volume 2. Uh, or it's the Alfred Hitchcock classics collection I think the other one was yeah it is volume 2 I'm sorry uh, in 4K Saboteur or Shadow of a Doubt Trouble with Harry Marnie and Family Plot have all been issued oh, on 4 yeah. huh. uh yeah
0: I love Shadow of a Doubt I love that movie good movie yeah pure Very pleasure pretty. that movie mm-hmm. and um, I'd love to revisit the locations because that house is still there that main mm-hmm. house um and uh i was seeing an interview with bruce stern and he was talking about working with hitchcock on family plot and bruce stern was um he i think he asked hitchcock like why are you why did you cast me in this and he said because i i refused to pay mr Pechino a million dollars hitchcock doesn't do that and what he meant was pacino <laughs> He'd offered it to Pacino, and I guess his people said he will for a million dollars and he just refused.
1: Oh, that's funny. That's falling right into his uh what they claim that he always said when actors are simply cattle, I don't know if that's yeah. true or not, but Which, that falls yeah, right Pacino into Pacino doesn't, mind doesn't
0: need to do a Hitchcock movie. I mean he was Oh no he was on a different track. But uh you know, and it kinda of reminds me of when uh, Paul Newman asked Scorsese to direct uh, Color of Money.
1: Mm-hmm. And he,
0: he sent a note to, uh, and, and addressed it to Michael Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
1: funny. Funny, funny stuff. So uh, we'll move right along. Universal has a couple of, uh, they, I guess, in anticipation of Jurassic World, uh, the latest Jurassic World, Jurassic installment, I should say, of number six in the franchise. Uh, they've reissued the other ones in 4K. So, they basically, all of them are available separately in new 4K editions. The newest one not getting the best reviews.
0: No, but it'll make a vote load.
1: I'm sure it will, but yeah, um, I'm not hearing good things. Haven't seen it. I was, they had a screening for it Tuesday here, press screening, and I was going to go, and then they said that we had to be 20 to 30 minutes early, and I live about, oh, on a good day, with no traffic, about 20 minutes away, 25 minutes away from the theater, and I thought, that's just going to push it. So.
0: Yeah, audiences like it. It's kinda, I think it's got a high cinema score, but yeah. I think it probably just delivers what they want from one of those movies. It's a healthy mm-hmm. box office so far this season.
1: Yeah, it has. It has been, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah it's all franchise films making it, but hey, you know, what are you going to
0: do? Need something.
1: That's true. Need something. So a couple other 2022 movies, or, or rather one other one, uh, Dog, which uh, Channing Tatum for from mm. earlier this year, getting a physical release. Uh, Friday the 13th Part 3, funny <laughs> you mentioned that. That's getting a, a Steelbook 40th anniversary because it came out in 82.
0: Oh, did it? The it's first Friday the 13th book. came out in 82? Uh,
1: The third one, yeah.
0: The third one. The, the third, third one yeah. came out then. Okay.
1: Yeah, the third one did. Yeah, August of that year, I believe.
0: I was just thinking it's dangerous to call your movie Dog. That's like calling your movie Bomb.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah it's so no good you know
1: good point good point so cursed has been issued by screen factory the uh west craven film werewolf take on oh. the werewolf you know, kevin williamson
0: that's uh, one of his least regarded movies isn't it
1: yeah and it still has i don't know there's so many people who i guess were kids when these movies came out a lot of these and they just have such fond memories of the i guess you you had to be there at a certain age, and this is one of those films, Christina Ricci and, oh, Jesse Eisenberg, Shannon Elizabeth in this, Scott Baio, and, uh, yeah, just not really all that good. I saw it when it came out, revisited it for the uh, the new Blu-ray release, and, I mean, it looks the transfer looks good, all that stuff, but, you know, this is a, I think uh, Rick Baker did the transformations, and then they replaced a lot of his work with CGI, and it looks terrible because mm. this was in, the the uh, early stages of CGI and it just doesn't quite work. It just doesn't. It's not the worst thing you've ever seen, but you know it's definitely not a good movie. So yeah,
0: if I were Rick Baker, I'd be pissed.
1: Yeah, I think it was one of the reasons why that led to his retirement uh, was because of his dis- dislike of what happened on that uh, the shoot of that uh, you know, that film. So anyway, uh, Ghost in the Darkness from 1996 is another Screen Factory release. That's uh, Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas where they're what are, I
0: think they're lion battling lions. Africa, yeah. The lion
1: hunting. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, Man, that,
0: that's a movie that's been well regarded for all these years too. It
1: has, yeah. it has for sure. Uh, Year of the Jellyfish from nineteen eighty four is a Cohen Media release, so that uh, has been issued at two for the money. Speaking of Pacino,
0: I want to get this because I want to hear the commentary. I mean, it's not, it's not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it's an interesting one mm-hmm. because I. Uh you know it's one of those e- movies that's easy to dismiss, but if you really like look at the themes it's talking about, it's talking about addiction in a pretty unique way hmm not not an addiction to drugs but an addiction of being on that edge of losing and uh that's what Pacino suffers from in that in that movie, even if it means you know the edge of losing his partner right uh and yeah so it's an interesting kind of twist on that, so I'd be interested to know what it was like to work with Pacino on that, in that commentary.
1: Yeah. I, I would too. I would like to hear. Yeah. I didn't get a review copy of this one, so I was hoping to, but I don't know, uh, scream and shout. They're not sending out as much review product as they used to. So, uh, they've cut way down that. So, uh, cursed is probably the only title of theirs I've wow. gotten in probably three months.
0: When you're coming out with something as widely popular as two for the money, why do you need the extra word of mouth?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Oh jeez! So the Ang Lee film, I think it's his film debut, Pushing Hands from 1992, has been issued. going to get the uh, the the actual copy. I got the. You can hear the shrink wrap. Uh, there we go. <laughs> oh,
0: thank you for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we have the roundtable discussion with filmmakers James Shamus, Ted Hope, and T- Tim Squires, and a 16-page booklet with this. This is a film movement release. And as I said, it's, um, it's Angley's debut film, Pushing Hands. It's, uh, well regarded. So that's been issued by Film Movement. And we have the adult version of the story of Cinderella, courtesy of Full Moon Entertainment from 1977. I have not seen this, but I've always been curious about it. It's, um, and, uh. This
0: isn't a Charles Band thing, is it?
1: Oh, yeah, it is. Is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cinderella traces the misadventures of our heroine who, via the help of her fairy uh, godmother, who is actually a a, a gay man in this version, granted heightened sexual powers to win over Prince Charming. After a blindfolded orgy at the royal castle, the nerdy prince must sleep with every willing woman in his kingdom until he finds that one mysterious lover who stood out on the night of the sex ball. Sounds good to me. Um, (laughs) I'm there. (laughs) I would like to see this, I have to admit. (laughs) I've always been curious, but never never did. What year? Seventy seven. Oh. Old age of those type of things. I have a hard
0: I have a hard time maybe that's the wrong phrase to use with a, ah. a, a I have difficulty when I was something that old, knowing that the they're dead.
1: Like, yeah, that's true, <laughs> you're right. That's a good point. I don't
0: yeah. know how to be delicate with uh
1: I know what you're talking about, yes. And that is yeah, that's yeah. It's kind of weird, right?
0: Yeah. That's, what's the nice next movie? <laughs> yeah,
1: moving along to The Killer Elite, starring James Caan. Yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, the uh, Sam Peckinpah film being released in a special edition by Ronin Flicks. It's been previously available from Twilight Time, long out of print. Some extras there that are carried over from the previous release. Interesting uh, movie.
0: Each, uh, yeah. It's not – you know, I expected it to be terrible. It's not terrible. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked it for the most part. It's got – it's one of those that takes a while uh-huh. to to get kicking, you know, before the the plot kind of kicks in. Mm-hmm. This is true.
1: It gets there, but it takes a while. Infinite from 2021, starring uh, Mark Wahlberg. 4K Blu-ray release of that, and then we have a couple more 4K releases. We have Beverly Hills Cop 2 getting a 20 uh, 35th. I'm sorry, 35th uh, anniversary Oof. release. And uh, 4K, you know, obviously it's – um, I don't know what your thoughts are on Beverly Hills Cop 2. I, uh, It's another one of those like Grease 2. It's uh, a lesser film than the original. And I was never a tremendous fan of the original Beverly Hills Cop. I know Ebert kind of summed it up for me. He gave it like two and a half stars, I think. And I, I know it's heresy to say that, but I, I liked it but never
0: loved it. And... I don't think it's a great movie. I think it has its charms, though. But, yeah but two part two is a different animal I mean it's you're oh, in- yeah. you're in Scotland. you so, are for sure, yeah. yeah, so it's it's kind of it's definitely the kind of movie that's a time capsule of its time
1: yeah yeah i I agree, so anyway, just wanted to mention that that's out, and I don't think there are any new extras. it's uh, just carryovers of the uh, previously issued uh, materials but uh, yeah, but Gilbert Godfrey's great in it rest in peace, mate. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it's great, great uh, cameo there. Or I guess it's a cameo. I don't Does know. Does Bronson
0: Pinchot come back for the part two? Is there no,
1: he's not in it. But you know, you're in trouble when the film opens up and you got uh, Ronnie Cox talking about that fishing trip they were supposed to go on. Like, are these the same characters from the <laughs> the original film?
0: <laughs> so well, different. I mean, compared to number three, I, I'll take number two.
1: Well, I agree. Yes, uh, definitely. Definitely, the less said about number three, the better. Anyway, in 4K, also getting – and that's Paramount, by the way, issuing Beverly Hills Cop 2. And they also issued The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance in 4K as part of the Paramount Presents line of titles. Uh, This features some new featurettes, uh, a new filmmaker focus with Leonard Maltin, feature commentary by Bogdanovich along with archival recordings. Uh, with John Ford and James Stewart and uh, selected scene commentary with introductions by Dan Ford, the son of John Ford. So
0: you can hear him doing his Ford and Stewart impressions for two
1: hours. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes, indeed. So, um, anyway, licorice pizza getting a 4k, I'm sorry, a blu-ray release, no 4k disc, believe it or not. But the uh, latest Paul Thomas Anderson film, which we, I was underwhelmed by, Mm -hmm. um, and I'll I'll say no more. Everybody's heard me beat that horse into the ground, so I'll I'll say no more about that. But anyway, if you like licorice pizza, it's out there on Blu-ray from Universal. And um, Extreme Prejudice has been issued as part of the uh, Lion, uh, the Vestron Collector Series edition from Lionsgate. Uh, that's the Walter Hill film starring Nick Nolte, 1987. Maybe, maybe extras. Yeah, there are. There are some new extras. Uh I can't remember specifically what they are, but I do remember remember getting the press at least I think Walter Hills involved in some of the uh, the new extras. Huh. Yeah. So, wow.
0: yeah. Nick Nolte and Powers Booth. That was a that was a masculine damn movie right there.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the testosterone uh... flying on that set was.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's uh, it's I mean, it's if you like Walter Hill, I do. I'm a fan of the, especially the earlier Walter Hill films, and it it's it's in that um, I would I would lump it in with some of the others like Southern Comfort, Warriors, and all that, and um, yeah, Hard Times, very good as well. So uh, we have uh, Escape from New York being issued in 4K from Shout Factory. Yeah, Shout Factory, uh, you know all the previous extras being retained from their previous issue of Escape from New York. And we have The Craft from 1996 being issued by uh, Screen Factory in 4K. Uh, I know that film has a huge cult following. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of it, uh, to tell you the truth. But anyway, for those who love it, uh, Top Secret getting a Blu-ray release finally from Paramount. The uh, Zucker Brothers follow-up to Airplane. We're speaking of Airplane 2. They opted not to do Airplane 2, and they did Top Secret instead, which is, I think, a rollicking and quite funny uh, send-up of Elvis and spy movies, Val Kilmer, his debut. I just, so many great gags in that film. And yeah. um, I don't know what else to say about it. It's, it's good, good stuff. And I'm so glad it came out on uh, Blu-ray. So, And boy, does it hold up to repeat viewings. You, you, you laugh every time. I know I do anyway. So, uh, fatal Fatale, Brian De Palma's 2002 film has been issued starring uh, Rebecca Romaine and, Antonio Bantaras from, uh, like I said, 2002. I, I think that was probably his last solid film, I would say. I can't think of anything he's done since then that really stands out. Uh, but that I like film
0: fatal. Film what year? 2002. Okay, 2002. You're yeah. probably right. I mean, I, yeah, I like Passion okay.
1: Yeah, it was okay. I agree. It's not terrible, but film fatal was pretty good, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Pretty enjoyable, kind of kind of a throwback to the old Brian De Palma and uh, a last a last last grasp at the old Brian De Palma. I, I keep hoping that even in his 80s he'll do something uh, similar to the old ones, but I'm I'm losing hope with each passing year. But I keep hoping I'm not giving up completely. Uh, hell or high water from 2016 starring Jeff Bridges getting a 4K upgrade from Lionsgate. And the 1982 horror film *Girls' Night Out*, starring uh, Rontanya Alda, who's been a guest on our show, Al Holbrook, and Julia Montgomery. Yeah, it's a horror film about a killer wearing a dancing bear suit stalking a variety of cheerleaders during an all-night scavenger hunt at at a remote Ohio college. She did
0: several horror movies. Yeah, Uh, I'm including *Mummy Dearest* in that.
1: Yeah, it's true. Yeah.
0: Amityville two? Was she in part two with Bert like Young? It.
1: I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so.
0: Or was that Amityville three? I can't remember.
1: She's in one of those, yeah. I yeah. know that.
0: Girl yeah, she's such a sweet
1: person, such a yeah. nice person, always commenting on anything you know that I post and just always just so so nice. Can't see enough nice things about her. So uh she is uh in this film and like I said, this is a notoriously hard to find horror film from the early 80s uh, that does have some sort of cult following. There's new extras here, but it's an Arrow release. Girls' Night Out, 1982. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde has been issued. This is the uh, the 1941 version with uh, Spencer Tracy and Ingrid Bergman and Lana Turner. Huh. And huh. Uh, directed by Victor Fleming, who two years earlier had been Gone with Wind and Wizard of Oz. And... Um, this, uh, the, the story has always been that uh, MGM, who was the uh, – or Warner Brothers. Right? I think it was yeah, – it was Metro Goldenware. That's right. MGM uh, was the studio behind Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The original 1931 version with Frederick March has been notoriously hard to see because MGM bought it up because they didn't want people to see it before they did their remake, and so it's been very hard to – See, but I understand that Warner Brothers now is doing a, a restoration of that since MGM bought it, bought the rights to it. They own that as well. And I think we're going to be seeing the 1931 version of, uh, which I hear is much superior. Uh, I never did get around to seeing it. But anyway, there's a trailer for, um, um,
0: trailer for this, and that's about it for the extras. Oh, you know me? I love Mary Riley.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, not bad. That's actually oh, my,
0: my favorite version of that story. Yeah, I know. I know people hate that movie, but I I love it.
1: I didn't hate it. Did not hate it. Uh, can't can't um, can't complain about it. I uh, yeah, I can't say that I loved it, but I certainly enjoyed it. You know. So um, anyway, we have Outside the Law from 2010 and Two Men in Town from 2014. Those are two Cohen Media releases, and we have. My favorite film of 2021 has finally got a Blu-ray release. Kurt Vonnegut, Unstuck in Time,
0: hmm.
1: from um, Robert B. Wide, the uh, director of the uh, Woody Allen documentary and the Curb uh, Enthusiasm television show. It's a wonderful documentary about his friendship with Kurt Vonnegut and his personal relationship. And you also get uh, a look at uh, – he also paints in a portrait of the life of Kurt Vonnegut and his background, where he came from, and just a beautiful, life-affirming movie and just – Uh, it just has a lot of meaning to me. I was watching it around the time my dad was – the last week that my dad was alive. And uh, there's a lot of – it gave me great great comfort seeing this film during that difficult time for me. And so personally, it's always going to make me think of that. And uh, so anyway, I just love this film. Can't say enough good things about it. So I'm so glad it's out there from IFC, I think he's put it out. So anyway, and we'll move on to – towards the end of the month we're getting there the batman has been issued in 4k and blu-ray from uh, warner brothers proper finally got around to seeing this i just couldn't do it i couldn't uh, force myself to go to the theater and sit for three hours and see this so i finally caught it on um you know hbo max and i must say i was underwhelmed i was uh, quite i found it to be quite a, a slog to be honest <laughs>
0: mm.
1: yeah it was very uh, it wasn't getting any hurry going where it was going and uh, it you know I admire that they were trying to do something different, but I just uh, it, again didn't connect with me uh, at all. So uh, maybe I would have felt differently if, if I'd seen it in the theater, and maybe I should have. But maybe I you would have felt
0: differently if you never saw another Batman movie before, yeah, that's before true. it. Before it, because that's the feel that's the feeling I got. I was just yeah, I'm tired of this stuff. I mean, I I love Matt Reeves and I recognize his artistry, but it just maybe I'm just Batmaned out. Was my yeah. feeling.
1: I think, we're, I think I'm right there with you. So, yeah. Anyway, so there we go. Uh, the Batman, for those who love it,
0: it's available on
1: uh, 4K and Blu-ray. X from this year, I've already talked about that, that horror film. I watched that. Yeah, what'd you think?
0: I'm trying to remember. It was so long ago, like two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> what I think? I didn't love it. I, yeah. Um, and... You know the the parallels to Texas Chainsaw are obvious. Oh yes. Uh, the the framing, some of the sets. Uh, you know, there's there's callbacks to Texas Chainsaw from the very mm-hmm. beginning. The van pulling up at the gas station and that whole thing, Oh stuff.
1: yeah, of course.
0: But the thing that people don't understand about Chainsaw is the Chainsaw is not driven by plot. It could give a shit about plot.
1: Right. So it's the atmosphere. Th-
0: the thing that really bothered me about X was when the plot started kicking in. And it was too freaking complicated. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you need a, a. If you're going for that type of horror movie, you're going for primal. You don't want this metaphysical kind of shit that you got to work through to. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Agreed. And let's face it, it's ridiculous. The plot. I mean, you know, they can't out they can't uh, outwit these eighty year olds who are the villains of the film. It's like, oh yeah, God. yeah, yeah. Ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. And the other thing, that, as I've said, I know I've already railed about this before, but I'll go down that road again. I mean, the film is just soaked in violence. And, you know, I'm not a prude. I don't mind violence. Violence is fine. But just violence for the sake of violence Uh, in this film. And if they're paying tribute to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they're missing the point because it's not a violent film. It's a film about atmosphere and what's suggested. This film doesn't suggest anything. The
0: violence suggested, yeah. Right, they're uh, missing the point. He does have a sense of style, though. I I don't dislike oh, does, him, yeah. and and I like that he's making yeah you know, original horror movies. So, you know, it's not based on anything. It's not a remake. It's not you know. Mm-hmm. So the, there's a lot that I like about him. I just I just didn't see much special with X.
1: Yeah, I agree. I would agree. So anyway, so Candyman from 1992.
0: Oh, the original, yeah.
1: Uh, the original, yeah. 4K. Should I, should I
0: watch the remake? It's on Amazon now.
1: Uh, I didn't. Uh, I, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. I hear, I hear it's kind of a sequel, so I don't know.
0: Oh, is it okay?
1: Yeah,
0: sequel, remake. That's what they do these days. Well, they made a anyway. sequel. I didn't see that either. The sequel. Farewell, yeah. Farewell to the Flesh. I never saw that one.
1: Oh, I didn't either. I wasn't a fan of the original, to be quite honest. Uh, again, kind of didn't 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 connect with that neither. And I tried, back in the day, I didn't back in the 90s, and I tried watching it again when it came out on Blu-ray a couple years ago. I thought, well, maybe I missed something. Maybe I will Nah. I didn't feel any differently. So, I do have the soundtrack
0: to Candyman too, Philip Glass. It's one of his it's one of his two-note scores. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. The
1: artistry of Philip Glass.
0: Yeah. I like I like him. I like him. And that's actually that's actually a good documentary on Philip Glass from I don't know, what was it, 12, 14 years ago?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's when he was composing Cassandra's uh, dream, the Woody Allen, when Woody Allen finally decided to do a score and he picked Philip
1: Glass. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, uh, speaking of Toby Hooper, who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of course, uh, Life Force has been issued in 4K by Screen Factory as well.
0: I just watched teams. that.
1: Yeah. I, just I watched, never saw the extended cut of that. Have you? I always wanted to, but never I did. do
0: not know what version I saw. Okay. But
1: international cut. That's-
0: um it wasn't awful. I remembered it being awful. Uh-huh. And it wasn't. It you know, you're working with canon. Mm-hmm. So you got a limited budget. I I thought he did pretty well. I thought it there are performances that aren't there. Mm-hmm. And, you know that woman that's just has to be naked throughout the entire run of the movie Oh yeah I looked up an interview with her and she it seems like she thinks back on that film very fondly so but um I didn't think it was awful
1: I saw I saw it in a theater when it came out in June of 85 I was there I think opening weekend or you know somewhere in that neighborhood and anyway i I, I wasn't crazy about it uh, but again, I'd like to see this international cut because uh, supposedly that's his preferred version of it so I, I I've always wanted to but never did so I should. And I don't think I've revisited that film probably in 20 years or more so I should go back and give it another shot so mm. anyway, uh, malignant the uh, horror film from last fall from uh, I think it's James Wan directed. I think it's been given a 4K uh upgrade. I was not a fan of that one either.
0: So, it's a lot of Did I see that?
1: I oh, I know. did not like
0: that, right? I saw yeah, that. I bad. do remember that.
1: It was supposed and the, supposedly the joke was that it's supposed to be a bad movie, but it was uh-huh. not it, it it just was a bad movie. It wasn't there was there was no supposed to be. It just was. So, anyway, <laughs> Uh, you didn't have to make a joke out of it or you know try to be ironic. but anyway, Studio six sixty six sixty six with uh, the Food Fighters, uh, mm-hmm. uh, earlier theatrical release from this year. It's been given a physical release as well. Wild Things from 1998, directed by Jan- John McNaughton, who did Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. This is a, I don't know, you'd call it maybe a Norrish thriller. Yeah. With, uh, Matt Damon, uh, Matt Damon, Matt Dillon, I meant to say. And uh, Kevin Bacon, uh, that's a fun movie of its type. Uh, I revisited that. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it then. I enjoyed it now. So, And a lot of twists, a lot of turns there, too. Don't want to say too much if you haven't seen it, but, uh, you know, it's not bad for a late 90s uh, thriller. Uh, Patriot Games and The Sum of All Fears, uh, those have been issued by in 4K by Paramount. One-Armed Boxer is a... Um, uh, an Asian thriller. That's, um, I think that may be one of the uh, Shaw Brothers films. It's directed by Jimmy Wang Yu. And this is uh, from Arrow, 1972 release. And it's gotten uh, some new extras to go along with it, new commentaries and such. And then we have Ray Donovan, the movie has been issued in 4K. And it's, uh, yeah. Uh, As has Passengers from 2016. Mm. It's been issued in a, a 4K edition. Um, and Trekkies, the documentary about the Star Trek fans from 1997, that's been given a, a Blu-ray special edition release from Shout Factory. And then we have The Beatles in India, which is a new documentary about the Beatles' time in, uh, that they spent in India in uh, the late 60s. And it kind of tells you about all the... It's funny, they obviously couldn't get the rights to the Beatles' music, so they try to huh. do the best they can without using Beatles' music. And they, they do okay, uh, not an enviable task, but anyway, it's it's okay of its type. It's
0: yeah. I wonder how that new John Lennon doc is about his love affair that he had with May um, Pang. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize there was something out there about that. Yeah, it's that. premiering. It's premiered already at Tribeca. Okay. And uh, and then there's a Lynch documentary about Lynch and. Uh, this the wizard of oz influence on david lynch there's a feature-length documentary on that all
1: right Uh, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. and uh,
0: you can actually view it online because some of their some of their films are available to to purchase online like a screening Mm -hmm. kind of online and that's one of them and then uh but the big one that i really want to see from tribeca is called subject that's Mm -hmm. not available online and it's about the subjects of famous documentaries and how they've coped with the exposure so they interview the hoop dreams guy they interviewed the capturing the freedman's uh kids they interview uh the uh, michael um, who whatever his name is from the staircase they and so the,
1: yeah the peterson guy
0: yeah and uh so that's interesting to me it's very meta you're making a documentary about how these documentary subjects lives were changed by being subjects mm-hmm. of documentaries
1: yeah, that's curious. I like that idea. Yeah, sounds okay to me. Yeah, I, I would watch that. So the uh, the this is a, a curio in the career of Blake Edwards, the Carry Treatment, which is a thriller based on a Michael Crichton suspense novel
0: oh.
1: <laughs> about a doctor wrongfully accused of uh, uh, killing uh, or basically giving a somebody an abortion at a time when abortions were illegal, and it resulted in the woman's death. Huh. And, so, and it's uh, coming out
0: now. I wonder why.
1: Yeah, I wonder why, right? It's, uh, <laughs> James Coburn is uh, the, uh, the doctor who's trying to prove his colleague's innocence. And uh, Jennifer O'Neill is in this. She's a love interest, huh? Nice. So uh, what do you know? Uh, Dan O'Herlihy, Pat Hingle, also in this. But yeah, that's not the kind of film you think about when you think of Blake Edwards. But, uh, and I'd always wanted to see this because it's it was the movie that he did after Darling Lily, which you know was a huge flop for him, and it almost cost him his career and so this was what he rebounded with, and it didn't do much better I don't think although the I don't think it cost as much to make so uh but it's it's not bad it's it's interesting, I think Jennifer O'Neill makes a good love interest in the film, and uh Coburn's
0: good, and I wonder if uh, he'd still be working today i mean not not at his advanced age but. If like his '80s output, if he if he was engaged in that stage of his career today, if he would ha- if he would have an outlet for it, if he'd be able to make stuff like Switch and Skin Deep and That's Life and
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Because he he was
0: pretty bad. regular, wasn't he? Like
1: he was, yeah. Up until uh, Son of the Pink Panther, and then he quit. That was the last movie.
0: I like That's Life. I'm not crazy about the other two that I just mentioned. And there's Skin Deep has some good parts to it, but That's, oh, it li- that's Life was surprisingly resonant to
1: that's me. That's a good movie. I have that. I, I watched that not too long ago, revisited that. That's it's pretty well done. Blind like... Date.
0: You know, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I don't know that there'd them. be a market, even on streaming. Oh, I
1: agree. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of a, he's kind of a filmmaker who probably uh, you know, he was, he was at the right time in the right place, I guess you would say. Yeah. The, uh, the culture. Yeah. But I love his work. Uh, it's always interesting his work, even though, even the, the misfires are, are, have an interesting quality to them. And of course, I love SOB. That's one of the great, it's one of the great films uh, of his career. So. Anyway, Double Indemnity. I don't think I mentioned this earlier. has been issued in 4K by Criterion, and I think previous extras have been carried over. There may be a few new extras here, maybe a new commentary. I think, but anyway, Double Indemnity has been issued. We were speaking of Henry Thomas and uh, by who? Who did oh, Double he, Indemnity? Criterion. That's Criterion, yes. Yeah, great
0: movie. And yeah, I think I mean, it's. Uh, I think they have a lineup of Billy Wilder on their channel right now. <clears throat>
1: I would be. Uh, that sounds. That sounds uh, about right. I would expect that. Good. Cloak and Dagger. We were speaking of Henry Thomas, uh, E.T. Rather, and Henry Thomas, the story, of, uh, the star of E.T. The next thing he did was Cloak and Dagger, directed yeah. by um, the same guy who directed Richard Franklin, who previously directed uh, Psycho, Psycho 2. 2. Yeah. And, uh, and Cloak and Dagger, and the really 4K. good,
0: and the really yeah. good truck movie with Stacy Keach and Jamie Lee oh, Curtis, yeah. Road, Road, Road Games, Road Games. games. Yeah. kind of sounds so much like the hair growth product, Rogaine.
1: <laughs> it does. I always get it that. It really <laughs>
0: uh, Yeah. Yeah, he was the hot director. I remember as a kid loving Cloak and & Dagger, and I have not seen it since I was a kid.
1: Uh-huh. And, yeah, I would be uh, curious.
0: And, uh yeah, I'd be interested in revisiting it. And, and Tarantino's claim that Psycho 2 is better than Psycho is just full of shit. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. I like Psycho 2-5, but it... It's really kind of ridiculous in places. Like, I was like, they dig up his mother, like, right out in the open. You know, they're digging up the coffin. They open it up right there at the cemetery. They don't even wait to go to a mausoleum or morgue or anything. They just, See, Norman, I told you she was really buried in here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. A little bit of stretching of the uh, credibility, I would say, yeah, for sure. Boy, uh, speaking of De Palma, uh, wow, we uh, I didn't realize there were so many De Palma. There was a couple of De Palma titles. Another one is The Untouchables getting a 4K release.
0: Mm, Paramount Presents. Yeah,
1: Paramount. This is just a uh, plain Paramount release uh, with oh. no new extras, it just uh, the special features that were carried over from previous issues. But it definitely needed an upgrade. And supposedly, I haven't gotten around to looking at it yet, but they say the picture is quite the uh, astonishing upgrade. They've done a really, really good job here with this. So. Um anyway, good for them. I'm, I was certainly glad to see it. It got me excited. And uh, Kinky Boots has been issued from Paramount as well. That's the, uh, the 1996 comedy that was made in the uh, – that's 2006. I'm sorry, the heyday of well, – maybe not the heyday, but Miramax was still pumping them out at this time. It's a Miramax British comedy that uh, later became uh, the celebrated play uh, with the uh, musical with, with, I think, Cyndi Lauper. Was, mm. uh, did the music for and all that. So anyway, yeah, this is the original film that it's based on. Death Wish 2 from 1982 is getting a 4K release. That's from Vinegar Syndrome. A couple other 4K titles, uh, Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, Screen Factory, on those, uh, releasing those. And we have Happy, I'm sorry, 1776 from 1972 uh, getting a 50th anniversary. That
0: guy just got a big job to... The guy that did the Happy Death Day movies—he's hmm. going to write and direct a remake of something.
1: Ooh, I haven't heard about that.
0: A famous, a famous horror movie. Hmm. Right, hang on, I'll pull it up. Keep talking. Yeah, yeah. Curious. Go ahead.
1: Oh, okay, sure, sure. Uh, and we also have 1776, directed by Peter Hunt, the musical from 1972, getting a 50th anniversary director's cut edition. Three cuts of the film here. There's the original Laserdisc director's version. There's the uh, the new, uh, the re- more recent director's cut version that was released on previously Blu-ray and the theatrical version. So three cuts of 1776 and with a lot of extras there. The Ninth Configuration, written the... and directed by William Peter Blatty. Yeah. Yes. Getting a, a limited, very limited, 1,500 uh, copies are only being pressed.
0: I tried to watch
1: the that. Shout Factory. I have two. I couldn't quite get on its wavelength. And I am supposed it's supposed to be good. Another one like that. The Happy that.
0: Death Day director has been hired to write and direct the remake of Arachnophobia.
1: Oh, didn't even know they were trying to remake that. Mm. Uh it shouldn't surprise me, but uh yeah. So oh well, that should be curious. <laughs> should be curious if nothing else. Stanley, the uh, 1972 horror film from William Greffey, which is a um, uh, about a, a, Vietnam, a dis disenfranchised Vietnam vet who trains snakes to kill people that are getting on his nerves. Huh. Well, uh, this is uh kind of a, it was made the year after Willard, which uh, was inspired by Willard. So that anyway, was one that, of
0: the most beautiful houses we saw when we were in LA. Was the Willard house? Yeah, that's beautiful.
1: Sure is. Yeah yep still standing I,
0: I really my two favorite ha- houses that I saw that I like God that looks idyllic like I'd really like to live there was Willard and poltergeist two house like I love the the moss hanging from the trees and the poltergeist two house and it looked the garden there and it yeah looked really nice
1: yeah i agree i agree there's uh the bees from nineteen seventy eight has been issued by vinegar syndrome and then we have uh a couple of, uh, reissues of titles that were previously issued by Twilight Time are out of print. Now they're back in print. Salvador, the Oliver Stone film is one of them. And Eye of the Needle is another one. There's a, a new upstart label called Sandpiper Pictures. Not, not really sure who's running that company or where they came from, but they just, I guess they've licensed some of these old Twilight Time titles that have gone out of print and they're reissuing them, so anyway and then we have uh, the uh, the last thing we'll talk about is the uh, 1979 documentary about the industrial workers of the world uh, who took to organizing unskilled workers into one big union and changed the course of American history it's called the wobblies from 1979 it's a very uh, highly rec- a highly regarded documentary gotten a it's gotten a new uh, 4k restoration and um, uh, some new extras here new interview with the filmmaker Stuart Byrd and Deborah uh, Shaffer and um interviews with the historian Paul Buell. So anyway, uh and original recordings of some of the songs from that uh that that movement. So anyway, the Wobblies from 1979 Kino is uh, the studio behind that or the label behind that and that uh takes care of our May Blu-ray titles.
0: Okay.